If you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 will be our passage this morning. Stand, please, for the reading, if you're able, for God's word. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor by human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, him, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heavens should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we have proclaimed to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let that one be accursed. This is the word of God, and you can be seated. From this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Jesus is Enough. Jesus is Enough. While traveling a couple of weeks ago, I was reminded of the thing that I dislike the most about renting a car. Some of you are already generating your own list. It's not the likelihood of a slow moving line when I reach the rental car counter. It's not the possibility of some funky smell starting to surface an hour after I have left the rental car lot. No, what I dislike most about the rental car experience is when I finally get to the counter and the agent asks me if I want to purchase extra insurance coverage. I say extra because I have checked many times and my personal insurance covers absolutely anything that could ever happen to me while driving a rental car. Purchasing the additional insurance coverage would be as effective as taking a $100 bill out of my wallet, putting it on the counter, and lighting it on fire. (laughs) And yet, every time I am asked this question, I start to wonder, wait, do I need extra insurance? Am I sure I'm totally covered? What if I drive into a lake The State Farm cover lakes. Despite what I know, what I've double, triple, quadruple checked about my own insurance, I'm still tempted to spend money on something that would do absolutely nothing for me that my current insurance doesn't already do. This morning, we're going to start a series of sermons from Paul's letter to the young churches in the region of Galatia, modern-day Turkey. Unlike many of Paul's letters, this one begins with a tangible sense of shock and disappointment. In these opening verses, we discovered that the Galatians astonished Paul by quickly deserting the grace of Christ for a false gospel. While my temptation to add useless coverage to my already sufficient insurance is kind of pathetic... 
the Galatian churches faced a far more consequential temptation. To add to the gospel, Paul shared with them other so-called gospels. Gospels which promised to make up for what the grace of Jesus supposedly lacked. It wouldn't be so bad if my tendency to doubt sufficiency was limited to the rental car counter, but it's not. Like the Galatian Christians, I too am tempted to add to the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus my own actions, my own works, my own religious obligations. For example, this year our church is learning to receive God's gift of Sabbath. But if we are not careful, we will come to think of Sabbath keeping as a way to gain God's favor. With Ash Wednesday, we have entered Lent a season of repentance. And if we are not careful, we will turn fasting and abstaining and generosity into acts of self-righteousness. And Paul, as is almost too obvious to mention, is not delicate about what it means to treat Jesus and his grace as insufficient. It is, he says, a perversion. So today, with a theme we will return to throughout this series, I want to lift up just one big idea for us. The grace of Jesus is enough. The grace of Jesus is enough. And in this opening section, we see that there are two reasons the grace of Jesus is enough. Because Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice. And because Jesus is a sufficient Savior. Now, these are not two separate things. We will see that the sacrifice of Jesus has the power to save, and Jesus' salvation comes through sacrifice. And yet, before expressing his shock at how the Galatian Christians had abandoned the gospel, Paul writes this about Jesus. He gave himself for our sins to set us free from this present evil age. Jesus gave himself, that is, he sacrificed himself. And Jesus set us free, that is, he saved us. So let's start with this. The grace of Jesus is enough because Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice and Jesus is a sufficient savior. So first, the first reason the grace of Jesus is enough is because Jesus is a sufficient Sacrifice. Paul begins the letter with his own authority as an apostle, and this is going to become more important as we go along in this series. He also begins by mentioning the fact that he is writing as a member of a community, all the brothers and sisters with me. Everything that comes in this letter is grounded in the real life experience of following Jesus with other people who are following Jesus. Galatians is not a theological textbook. Galatians is not a spiritual self-help book. It is a passionate appeal from one disciple to other disciples. From someone who's following Jesus to others who have given their lives following Jesus. What we find in Galatians is that what we believe about Jesus matters. Especially the question about whether Jesus is enough. 
This is the question Paul will return to time and time again. And so he begins by saying that Jesus gave himself, sacrificed himself for our sins. This is a a pretty common New Testament theme, actually. We read in the New Testament that Jesus is a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. That Jesus was put forward as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. That Jesus is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This this picture of an atoning sacrifice is drawn from Old Testament themes. For example, of the Passover lamb. A lamb who was slaughtered and whose blood was painted over the doorposts of the Hebrew people, indicating their safety and security and salvation under God's protection. Or the yearly day of atonement when the priest would lay his hands on a ram and the people's sins placed upon the ram and then the ram led out of the camp. This theme of a sacrificial lamb is a common one in the Old Testament so that when Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, looks at Jesus from across the way and says, look, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everybody knows what he's talking about. It's a common theme, a theme of sacrifice for atonement. And when we think about sacrifice in the New Testament, it's almost always connected with sins. There are themes of of purification, of a sinful people being made clean so that they could approach the holy and perfect God. There are themes of judgment, of a holy God's judgment coming down on a sacrificial lamb bearing the sins of the people rather than on the people themselves. What we see in this theme, both the New Testament and the Old Testament, is that the sacrificial lamb does for the people what we cannot do for ourselves. And... That the lamb's sacrifice doesn't change anything about God. It changes the people's disposition before God. God remains a God of grace, a God of love, a God of forgiveness. The sacrificial lamb takes away the sins of the people that they might know communion and intimacy with their God. Here is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In that proclamation, John the Baptist was foreshadowing Jesus' death. Not just a miscarriage of justice, but of the atonement of For the sins of the people. But this sacrifice would be different. The author of Hebrews says that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. There would need to be no more sacrifices. Jesus was the once and forever atoning sacrifice for our sins. So how is it that you can know whether Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice for your sins? I don't mean up here. I mean in how you live. How how can you know if you are living as though sacrifice for your sins in Christ's death has been once and for all made? Here's a easy way to tell. Pay attention to what you do after you sin. Which is, by the way, all of us in this room. Amen. Pay attention to your reaction after you sin. If your tendency is to, is to offer your own version of sacrifice before you can feel acceptable to God, then Jesus is not a sufficient sacrifice for you. If you feel like I've got to clean myself up, I, I need to, to somehow beat myself up. I, I somehow need to repair things enough to a standard of my own making. Then Jesus is not a sufficient sacrifice for your sin. But if your response to an awareness of your sin is to lean fully into the grace and the mercy of your savior, 
Now, that doesn't mean that you're still not going to work for repair. Amen. That doesn't mean you're not going to make things right. That doesn't mean you're not going to confess and do what is necessary to restore relationship. But it means that you're doing all of that from the knowledge and the security that sacrifice has already been made. You already stand before the holy and perfect God, beloved and accepted because of the death of Jesus Christ. Sacrifice has been made once and for all. So pay attention. Some of us won't have to wait very long today, will we? It'll be on the drive home. We're like, oh, it'll be an instance, an example of our sin that comes before our eyes. Pay attention. The grace of Jesus is enough because Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice. And then second, the second reason that the grace of Jesus is enough is because Jesus is a sufficient savior. Paul goes on to say, Jesus gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age. There's a vision throughout the New Testament of of living in a kind of spiritual captivity, of sin and evil working their way through our world. God loves this world, and yet this world is not neutral ground. It is contested ground. There is a real spiritual battle with evil that you and I move through every single day, whether we are aware of it or not. Scripture presents this language of the evil age as manifesting in a few different ways. There is, for example, active spiritual opposition. We might think of Jesus uh, 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 casting out demons from individual people, setting them free. There is also systemic evil, what Paul calls the principalities and the powers coalescing around human organizations and systems. And then there is what we might just call the legacy of opposing God's will. Uh, We just build deep trenches of the status quo that lead away from the kingdom of God. It's just how we do things. This is what Paul has in mind when he describes the present evil age. It manifests in different ways, but this world is contested territory. And Paul, looking at these young Christians, hearing that they have added to the gospel of Jesus, is brokenhearted. Because in the grace of Jesus, the Galatians had found a sufficient sacrifice for their sins. And they had found a savior sufficient to rescue them from this present evil age. And yet, the Galatians had come to believe that Jesus wasn't enough. That the gospel wasn't sufficient. The Galatians had come to believe that they needed to add some of their own religious obligation. They needed that extra insurance coverage. But unlike my supplemental car insurance, which is just a waste of money, by reaching for add-ons to the gospel, the Galatians were not just wasting their time and their energy. They were throwing away the grace of Jesus. Grace, God's undeserved, unmerited favor, God's mercy, God's gift. Do we realize the treasure that is the grace of God this morning? Do we tremble before the gift that is the grace of God today? Do we realize what we possess in the grace of God? The Galatians had forgotten. And if Christ's grace is not enough, then it is no longer the grace of God we are depending on. It is ourselves. We are depending on the rules that we are keeping. 
the purity that we are maintaining, the justice that we are seeking, the company we are keeping, the boundaries we are guarding, the perfectly balanced life we are protecting, the spiritual Sunday morning fervor we are experiencing. We come to depend on ourselves. By reaching for additional gospels to supplement the grace of Jesus, the Galatians had actually discarded the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. By believing that Jesus' grace wasn't quite enough, that it needed the addition of their own self-righteousness, they had walked away from Christ's sacrifice and his salvation. Because Jesus is either enough or he isn't. And the Galatians had come to believe that while the the death of Jesus for their sins was good, it it just wasn't quite enough. And while Jesus' resurrection was good, it just wasn't quite enough. While, While Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil were good, it just wasn't quite enough. They had come to believe That before Jesus' sacrifice and salvation would have any power in their lives, they they, they would have to do a a self-improvement project of their own. They, They would have to get things together, clean things up, make things more spiritual on their own. They would have to conform their lives to a particular standard of cultural religiosity. I've never hired a housekeeper But I've heard that sometimes when you hire a housekeeper, you end up spending a whole lot of time cleaning up the house for the housekeeper. Paul stands before the endless depths of our sin. And he is astonished that we would think that anything we might do could atone for our rebellion. Paul stares into the evil bent on deceiving and destroying us. And he is shocked that we would think so highly of our ability to save ourselves. Jesus is enough. The grace of Jesus is enough. Not Only was Jesus the perfect atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is also the sufficient Savior. We've hinted at it a few times today, but but this is the season of Lent. And the 40 days of Lent are patterned after Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And so if you don't know that story, if you've forgotten some of the details of that story, let me just remind us this morning that Jesus didn't end up in the wilderness because his GPS broke. Jesus didn't end up in the wilderness because he didn't have anything better to do. Jesus didn't go to the wilderness for a spiritual retreat to clear his head. The Holy Spirit of the living God led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To confront the devil. Not for a personal spiritual retreat, not to practice fasting for a little while, to confront this present evil age. And the devil thought he had the upper hand. Because after 40 days, Jesus was tired, the text tells us. He was lonely, he was hungry. The devil offered him some food. The, The devil offered him some worship. The devil offered him some power. And every time, 
Jesus met the devil's schemes with the power of God's word. And Jesus sent the devil running out of the wilderness. From the very beginning of his ministry, we find that Jesus came to defeat this evil age and all of the ways it has us bound up. Jesus came to save us. Is that good news to two or three of us this morning? Jesus came as a sacrifice for your sins. Yes, amen. But Jesus also came to save you from this present evil age. So let me ask, where do you need to be saved today? Where do you need to be rescued today? How have you been trying to save yourself in this season? Jesus has already entered the wilderness of your despair and your rage. Jesus has already entered your depression and your grief, your doubt and your fear. There is no attack that you have known that Jesus has not already suffered. There is no defeat that has marked you that Jesus has not already sustained. There is no loss that you have known that he has not already endured. I wonder if any of us have overlooked Jesus' salvation lately. I wonder if the Savior who came clothed in human frailty seems kind of outmatched. A little too meek and mild for the merciless foes coming after you. The devil forgot the lesson of the wilderness. Let's not follow the devil's example. The devil forgot that evil in all of its power is no match for Christ in all of his weakness. And because evil isn't creative, the devil forgot. And the devil tried again three years later. And this time Jesus was more than tired. He was exhausted. Jesus was more than hungry. He was empty. Jesus was more than lonely. He was isolated and betrayed and abandoned. Jesus was more than thirsty. He was parched and gasping on his last breath. Never was God weaker. Never was our sacrifice and our Savior closer to defeat. Never was the rule of sin more obvious and the power of evil more complete. And so I want to remind you of what our sacrificial Savior did not do in that moment of weakness and defeat. He did not turn to his followers below and say, you see, if you only had believed in me a little sooner, if only your faith had been a little bit stronger, if only your sins had been fewer, I wouldn't be up here. If only your commitment had been greater, if only your anxieties had been smaller, if only your doubts had been weaker, if only your forgiveness had been faster, if only your justice seeking had been truer, if only your self-care had been healthier, if only your righteousness had been pure, if only, if only, if only Jesus said none of it from the cross. At the moment when everything seemed lost, when the earth itself quaked and heaved, at that moment, Jesus gave up his spirit. At that moment, Jesus breathed his last. At that moment, Jesus whispers, it is finished. 
And I know that Easter is a few weeks away, but I hope you don't mind me making this point this morning. That it was precisely here, at Golgotha's defeat, when the final and sufficient sacrifice for our sins was made. It was here, on soil soaked in God's own blood, that this present evil age lost its power once and for all. The only thing God needed to wash away our sin and defeat evil was the saving death of his son. And it's the only thing that you need to. The grace of Jesus is enough. Because Jesus is a sufficient savior. Worship team, can I ask you to come on up? At the risk of repetition, your sins were atoned for once and for all. Not through some miraculous force of the divine will, but through the Lamb of God, emptying himself of power, taking on to himself our iniquity and rebellion, and submitting himself to death, even death on a cross. Your liberation from the power of hell and the schemes of men from personal despair and societal exploitation was not won by a violent insurgency, but via the God who became weak, who suffered and who died. What I'm trying to help us see this morning is the astonishing absurdity of trying to accomplish anything by our strength that Jesus has already secured in his weakness. And I know, I know that you and I have been conditioned to strive and to hustle. We have been conditioned to fix and to expand, to prove ourselves and promote ourselves, to try and then to try harder. I know that you and I are constantly being told a story that tells us that we have not done enough, that we are not doing enough, that we had better start doing more. I know. I know the strong themes of scarcity which run through our world prompting us to fear being left out or left behind. What I mean to say is that I understand the temptation to exchange the gospel of grace for a perversion of my own making. I understand. I understand the temptation to do something, to do anything that feeds my need to save myself. But I wonder, I wonder if anybody else here this morning is is tired of trying to save yourself. I wonder if anyone here this morning could confess, I am too depleted to keep sacrificing myself. I wonder if there are any other weak and tired people here this morning, any worn out and exhausted people. I wonder if there is anyone who has come to the dead end of self-salvation and self-sacrifice and who is thirsty for the free flowing waters of grace. I wonder if the simple confession, I can't, sounds like good news to anybody today. 
I, I wonder if some of us this morning might actually confess, I can't, not from a place of despair, but of delight. Because when we stand before the impossibility of our sin, when we stand before the immensity of this world's evil and confess, I can't. There is a crucified and resurrected Savior who stands just over our shoulder, ready to answer our confession with a proclamation of his own. There is an atoning lamb who sacrificed his life for our sins, who stands ready to answer your I can't with a declaration of his own. There is a savior who has walked into the wilderness of this present evil age, who has sent demons fleeing, who has harrowed hell, who stands ready to receive your I can't with an assurance of his own. I can't, we confess, to which our sacrificial savior replies, I already did. Child of God, you cannot offer a sacrifice that would bring purity and justice to what your sin has marred. But God already did. You cannot confront and defeat this evil age. But Jesus already did. And so if Jesus was enough to atone for your sin... If Jesus was enough to save you from this present evil age, then tell me, please, somebody, what is Jesus not enough for? You don't know how to heal from your trauma. Jesus is enough to hold you as he heals you from your trauma. You you don't know how to endure this white supremacist exploitative society. Jesus is enough to defend and protect you until he brings this racist regime crumbling to the ground. Somebody say amen. Amen. You don't know how to grow from the grief of that loss. But Jesus is enough to nurture new life in the place of loss. You don't know how to move into a future redeemed of your failures. But Jesus is enough to light up one step after the next into the good future he has for you. You don't know how to process the barrage of terrible and more terrible circumstances in our world, but Jesus is enough to find hope growing amidst the rubble of this world. We could go on, couldn't we? You don't know how to fix your marriage. You don't know how to parent your child. You don't know how to move from your isolation. You don't know how to confront that injustice. You don't know how to reconcile that friendship. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. But Jesus is enough. We don't know. But the grace of Jesus is enough. We can't, but he can. We can't, but he is. We can't, but he already did. You can't. But he can. You haven't been able to save yourself. You haven't been able to sacrifice enough. But he already did. He can. He is. He will. What's your confession today? I can't. But you can. We can't. But he can. He has. And he will. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. 
make our hearts tender to your gospel again today. Point us to every single place where we have exchanged the grace of Jesus for something of our own small imagining. We worship you today, our sufficient sacrifice and Savior.